So we are looking at a new sermon series. It's called The Journey to Jerusalem, and it comes out of the book of Luke. Luke uh, is, I think, the book, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, I'm just thinking about this a minute ago, which is dangerous, but uh, I think Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. And uh, Acts, he also wrote Acts. So Luke and Acts are actually like part A and part B of the, the journey of Christ, one to Jerusalem, and then the journey of the church as the Holy Spirit comes and leads and guides and builds the church. So in the book of Luke, we have at the beginning uh, the narrative of the birth of Christ, which happened uh, last month uh, at Christmas time, and then it goes into setting up Christ as Lord, identifying himself, gathering disciples. And then there's a chunk of material from Luke chapter 10, verse 51, that says he firmly set his face to go to Jerusalem at that point, Luke chapter 10, 51, until uh, his arrest and crucifixion that we're going to be looking at. And so the idea is, what once Jesus decided to set his face for Jerusalem, which meant the cross, uh, what is it that he taught his disciples in between uh, starting off, uh, heading to Jerusalem, and actually getting there? Because it's not a, a direct line. It's a meandering journey that he takes. And there's a lot of stories in between that point A and point B. And so we're... we're, we're uh, looking at Luke chapter 10, starting at 21, and we're going to be looking at the story of a couple of women. Anyone guess who they are? Just sisters? Mary and Martha. Yeah, so I, I always like to quiz you a little bit to make sure you know where we're going to see your knowledge base as well. So I'm um, going to read, starting at verse 21 in chapter 10 of Luke. And then we're going to skip ahead to verse 38, where it talks about Jesus headed towards Jerusalem. So, at that time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. And my Father has entrusted everything to me, no one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and he said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. In verse 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem uh, unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work, tell her to come help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, you're so worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it. It will not be taken away from her. Father God, these are your words that you have instructed Luke to write down for us. They are words of life. They give us freedom from the world's ways and help us to learn your ways. They teach us what you taught, 
the disciples and Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and every person that has read this passage for the last 2,000 years. Help us to see what you want us to see today. Reveal to us your heart, your values, your guidance as we seek to please you in all that we do as a church and as individuals in your kingdom. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the town of Bethany is located just about two miles east of Jerusalem. And uh, you have to go through Bethany if you're traveling up from Jericho. I don't have a map for you today, but the whole of Jordan Valley uh, from the Sea of Galilee followed the Jordan River down to the Dead Sea. Uh, right beside the Dead Sea is Jericho. And from Jericho, there's a mountain pass that goes up to Jerusalem. And just outside of Jerusalem, on the hill of Mount of Olives, east, eastern side of Mount of Olives, is this town of Bethany. Now, uh, in terms of altitude, did you know that Jericho was the lowest place on earth? Jericho is actually uh, 250 meters below sea level. And Bethany is 780 uh, meters above sea level. So that's about a kilometer difference in height. And uh, it's about 15 kilometers from Jericho to Jerusalem. So hiking up a kilometer over 15 kilometers. Uh, how many of you have done uh, the grouse grind? Okay, like six So the grouse grind is 853 meters high over about three kilometers. So it's about the same. So you get a longer distance to go a higher height uh, in change in altitude. But just think about journeying that. Uh, if you were Jesus' disciples and they say, we're going to head to Bethany, going, what? Like, really? <laughs> okay, I guess here we go. And they end up at Mary's house. And uh, so she's going to feed and water uh, Jesus and the, and the disciples this day. Matthew, uh, the, the, the writer, um, gospel writer Matthew tells us that Jesus had other friends in Bethany. There's a, a guy named Simon the leper. Um, he's actually the former leper because he'd been healed, and we're not quite sure if it was Jesus that did that or, or what happened. But he also went to Simon's house for an evening, and he was actually anointed um, by oil at Simon's house. So Bethany was an important place. It was a thoroughfare, and Jesus had some of his best friends there. We don't know exactly when Jesus got to know Mary and Martha and Lazarus as a family, um, but maybe they had heard his sermons. Maybe they'd seen some healings. Maybe his reputation was just so amazing that they had to see who this guy was. So uh, on this particular trip, uh, Jesus comes to the home of Martha, and she welcomes him in. And some people, although there's no clear evidence, believe that she was a widow. Uh, it's just her and her brother and sister in this home. So she uh, has, um, I'm guessing it's her house. Perhaps her husband passed away and uh, she needed company. And I think she was fairly well-to-do if she can host a bonus 13 people on the spot. Uh, how many of you have enough food right now to feed 16 people? For lunch. So she was no, you know, she was stressed. She's got to provide for 16 people, uh, all the food preparation. 
And sitting at the teacher's feet, um, any rabbi would have uh, Jewish students that would sit at their feet to learn. Um, In fact, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22 says that he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, a famous Jewish rabbi. So Martha was distracted. It says that she had a big meal that she was preparing, and she comes and um, tells Jesus to do something about this situation. Well, this word preparing, it says she was distracted by the big meal she was preparing. This word preparing, uh, when you look Greek-wise, it's the same word for deacon. She was deaconing, she was serving, she was preparing and helping out. So that was the, that's why they, you know, these guys that were helping out in the book of Acts, they call them deacons because they were serving, helping out, and making things happen for the, the, the widows of the time. And then it says, uh, tells Jesus, can you please uh, tell my sister to help me? And here's this word, and let's all say it together. <laughs> Sunantilambanomai. Ready? Sunant- no, I'm just kidding. You don't have to say this long word. But uh, it, it's a fun word. I thought, hey, let's just uh, learn some Greek today. Uh, so this means, uh, soon means together. Um, anti means against. And lambanomai means to, to, to help, to assist. So what this is together, it, what it means is two people uh, on the opposite side of something. Kind of like if, if you're, I can't, my wife and I have to together, you know, open up the dining room table and put the leaves in. And then together we have to push. It's the same idea, working together to prepare a meal. I'll test you on that at the end. So uh, what she's saying is we have to work together in order for this to happen. And I can't do it alone. Martha chose to do what was expected of her as the host. Then maybe she didn't feel that she had the right to sit at Jesus' feet. Maybe she knew that only the guys were supposed to do that. Uh, Mary, um, I believe she was the youngest, probably, probably Martha, Lazarus is the brother, and Mary. We don't know for sure, but we can guess. Usually it's the youngest one that gets out of all the work, isn't that right? (laughs) Usually it's the oldest one that does all the work, the driven, the type A personality, the one that has to make sure it's all just right. I think Mary, I look at Mary and I'm thinking of... um, in, order, in honor of my mother, this last Christmas, we watched her favorite movie, The Sound of Music. Well, you know, Maria is an odd duck at the Abbey. It says that she was always late, she was always distracted by things, she was always out exploring, not following the rules, not staying focused enough at the task, just someone who didn't seem to fit very well with everyone else. But I see Mary breaking rules. She's sitting at Jesus' feet like a disciple with the, with the guys. But, you know, this was, this was Jesus. It was a bit unorthodox, but it, the prophet, the rabbi, likely the Messiah. What could be more important than hearing him? You know, just, she was just curious. She, you know, she, she knew Mary or Martha was busy. She could hear the dishes going in the, in the kitchen and, and the, all the stuff going on. But she found something more important that day. And so she wasn't going to be distracted. You know, unfortunately, the, the, uh, the dependable, hardworking, generous Martha in this moment comes off a bit angry and agitated, overwhelmed, accusing others, demanding, even unhappy. 
Um, she was so focused on her task and her role, her perceived responsibilities as a host, she didn't see Jesus right in front of her. I find it interesting that Martha didn't actually tell Mary to get up. She does this thing that we call triangulation. And what this means is when you're mad at somebody, you don't go to that person because you don't maybe like confrontation. You go to someone else. And you get them involved. And you get them on your side. And you get them, maybe they have, maybe they're a higher authority. Uh, And so A won't talk to B because they're mad, so it talks to C. And then C has to talk to B. It's like, she's basically saying, Jesus, tell my lazy sister to get off her hind parts and get into the kitchen and help me. Now, what's odd about this is uh, Martha's basically trying to publicly embarrass Mary because she stops the meeting, the conversation Jesus is having with everybody, and basically bursts into the room, tells Jesus, Jesus, don't you see what's happening? Tell my lazy sister to get up here and help me. And Jesus uh, doesn't. Can you imagine, in essence, pointing out that Jesus didn't care? Hmm, Jesus, are you not aware of all the work I'm doing for you? Can you not at least send somebody to help me? Kind of being bossy to to Jesus. I know you've never done that, told God what to do. Never gave him instructions on how to manage things or handle things. Well, I don't know, maybe Martha's outburst was something that had been simmering for some time. Maybe the messages were ingrained into her from childhood as the oldest daughter. Maybe they were replaying in her mind from her parents, her peers, her society, maybe her late husband about the role, the expectations for the host. She was doing her duty. She was playing her role. She was putting on a good feast, willing to sacrifice. I mean, all of a sudden, she's got to feed another 13 people on the, on, uh, for the day. Um, maybe she was a bit jealous of her little sister just sitting there doing nothing. No doubt it was costly. This was a sacrifice. I mean, it's okay. She doesn't mind sacrificing. She doesn't mind helping. She doesn't mind serving. That's what she's learned to do all of her life. So in your family, did you have uh, an oldest sibling? Maybe you are that oldest sibling, that oldest child syndrome you know, type A, driven, workaholic, personality. I was the second born, so I, got a, I didn't have to be that kind of person. You know the one that ne- no one works quite as hard as he or she does? Everyone else is not as driven, not as intentional, not as willing to sacrifice for the greater good. My older brother is fantastic. He is a workaholic. He has accomplished tons of stuff in his lifetime. He's a very influential person and Christian circles, written dozens and dozens of books, speaks all over the world, takes care of family matters, found, found a new place for my dad to stay after mom passed away. It's like he's the perfect older brother, calls to check on us, see how we're doing. We, we appreciate those older siblings, but sometimes those older siblings get distracted by that being perfect, being um, just so, nothing out of place, no shortcuts, no second best. After all, there's a reputation at stake. What would people think if I didn't follow through? What if, if I didn't take care of everybody? I love you, brother. 
But you've got too many people you're trying to take care of and manage so many lives and people. Half of our relatives work for his ministry. Like, if you have a heart attack, what's going to happen? You know, they'll have to find new jobs. What would people say about Martha if she disappointed them? The bread wasn't baked right. The soup wasn't salty enough. The dessert wasn't fabulous like last time. Well, Jesus says to her, Martha, who actually says, dear Martha, it's kind of, you know, like in the South, they say, bless his heart. Bless her heart. It's like, mm, it's kind of a, a little bit of a sarcasm there. But Jesus says, dear Martha, you're worried and upset about all these details. He acknowledges her stress and her anxiety. And he says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about right now, and Mary has discovered it. I'm not going to take that away from her. Sometimes we're working hard for God, expecting recognition or honor or some kind of compensation, like he owes us something for our efforts and sacrifice. And maybe a, a good question to ask is, are we doing what Jesus asked of us, or are we just running around doing things that we think God wants done? If Martha had to stop and say, hey, Jesus, you guys want food? No, no, don't worry about it. We'll take care of that later. Have a seat. She didn't bother to ask. She just decided to do. Mary decided to be instead of to do, to be in the presence of Christ instead of just being busy. Seems like Martha was trapped by a false message of perfectionism, some people-pleasing, self-worth based on performance. But it looks like she's lost her joy because she's so busy working hard for God. She lost perspective and was missing out on the opportunity of a lifetime. The very first verses we read in this chapter, verse 22, Jesus says, I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Think about the patriarchs of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Think about Moses, Micah, Jeremiah, the prophets, Daniel, Elijah, the kings, David, Solomon, Uzziah. I mean, they would have given anything to be able to sit at the feet of the master. The Messiah, the promised one, they'd heard about him all their lives and realized that they weren't going to be in the generation in which he came. There's the Messiah sitting in your living room, and where are you? In the kitchen, missing out on everything. Well, duty, performing, or presence, being the foot of Jesus. There's a choice that we I think we make daily in our own lives. So the, 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 this account, in my perspective, is not about personalities or birth orders or which sister is the most responsible. It's more about the choices that we make. It's not about um, type A firstborn, but how we all have amount of time to use and how are we going to use that. So Jesus actually affirms both women, but shows on this occasion that one of them made a better choice than the other. It wouldn't be long before they would never have Jesus again in their living room, eating at their table. This was probably uh, near the last time that he was going to be in their home. And where was Martha? So I look at this and I say, what is the lesson for us? And I ask the question, well, what, what distracts us from spending time with Jesus? I've, been, uh, I've seen a number of magazines that uh, tell us what we're supposed to be wearing, how we're supposed to decorate our houses. 
the kind of boat we should be driving. I mean, you can spend hours and hours thumbing through magazines, listening to all the voices out there telling you how you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, how you should look, what you should wear, what you should buy. Social media, scroll. How many of you, any of you scroll through the, the social media sites just looking at the updates and the pictures and click, click bait and all these any, I mean, no one has that problem? I don't know. Warning us, you know, we might be missing out on something. If you don't scroll for hours, you might miss something. News sites, that's my problem. There's about four news sites I have to see about 16 times a day. <laughs> Just in case the world is ending and I missed it, you know. <laughs> Those dire warnings that constantly revolve every 20-minute 20, 20 news cycles. They're updating what, what's the next thing that's happening? What country, where there's, is there trouble? Where's the new threat? How about the closing bell at the stock market? Checking in our portfolio. What did my, what did my stocks do? How, how is my mutual funds doing? It's an obsession for some people. They can't spend a day without checking the closing bell. Car commercials enticing us to upgrade, spend beyond our means, just look good. Researching. Researching for the next cruise, the next all-inclusive, the next adventure experience before it's too late. Maybe your kid's school needs your time, needs your organizational skills, needs your volunteering or your donation. There's three emails every day that you have to answer because you're on the pack or, or you're trying to raise funds for the next fundraising event. Or what about your church? where we feel expected to be at everything, every night, every week, as if things will fall apart if we're not there. You know, we had different people every night of this week at church. Uh, some people made it every night. Others made it two or three, one night. Uh, some people said, you know, I'm going to come most of the time, but I need to spend time with my family this night or this. And I'm, Great. I don't expect everyone to come all the time to everything. I expect people to invest in God's kingdom as they're able to. But it's easy to feel trapped like Martha. Jesus recognizes her feelings of a frustration. But he's, he's pointing out that you could have shared in my joy, but you traded it for worry and agitation. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't actually tell her to sit down and didn't um, ask Mary to get up and help her. Basically, he says, two things are going on here right now. You're working hard and you're angry, you're frustrated in the kitchen and and your sister's here learning about the kingdom of God in my presence. She's made a better choice. What are you going to do? I don't, it doesn't tell us the rest of the story. We don't know what she did. We have to kind of guess and hope. Maybe she says, all right, dinner's going to be on in 20 minutes. You know, I'll go finish it myself. Or maybe she sat down and let the potatoes boil over. I don't know. But it's kind of left hanging out there. What will you do? She's chose a better thing. What will you do when you have the options? We have hundreds of choices a day. Keep in mind the disciples were watching. Maybe they weren't so comfortable having women sitting in their presence, but I think probably they didn't mind so much because in, in the truth is women actually financed much of Jesus' ministry, paid lots of donations so that those disciples could eat along the way. Several wealthy women funded their travels, hosted their meetings in their homes. It was the women who were at the foot of the cross, women who went to the tomb to find Jesus risen. And so what was Jesus saying? He's saying, gender is irrelevant when it comes to following him. Anybody can sit at his feet and listen. Everybody 
can sit. I also didn't notice any of the men getting up to help Martha. John, you could have peeled a few potatoes, you know. Peter, you know, what's wrong with you? You could make the salad. They just wanted to sit at Jesus' feet as well. It wouldn't have hurt a few of them to serve rather than being served because Jesus, had they been listening, in Matthew 20, he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. But on this occasion... It was best to sit and listen and to learn. I mean, Jesus could have easily have been just distracted by duty and demands of society, by the criticism of religious leaders, by doing good things for people too. Think about it. Jesus could have set up a never-ending feeding station for all who were hungry. He'd done it before. He could have become pretty wealthy by setting up a healing business for all those with diseases and, and, and uh, infirmities, freeing them from demonic possession. He could have had the house on the hill overlooking everyone else and come to me for healing. He could have uh, set up a seminary or a Bible school, taught all about the kingdom of God. He could have been distracted by becoming an educator, religious teacher, the most notable rabbi who does miracles on the sides. But none of those good things would have helped him get to the best thing. He had the cross in mind. He had a journey to Jerusalem. He was going to what was best, not stopping along the way to do what was good. Perhaps you're living a life of distraction or duty or obligation, but never seem to have time for the one thing that makes a difference, as sitting at Jesus' feet. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it the next day. I'll spend extra time in God's word on the weekend. And then there's, I mean, there never seems to be time. It never seems to be an opportunity. Constantly worried about how people might judge us if we don't do our obligations and our duty. What people think of us. How we keep our house. How we keep our kids. What kind of income we make. What brand of clothes we wear. It's just so tiring. Keeping up with everybody else's expectations. It just wears you out. And you lose perspective. If we are tired, more worried about what people think than we are about what Jesus thinks, it's time to refocus on the one thing that really matters. And that's why we have a week of prayer and fasting. It's just saying some things are more important than eating. Some things are more important tonight than Netflix, than YouTube. Perhaps you're a driven person trying to keep impossible standards dictated by imaginary voices of perfectionism and success. Do you have a relentless voice constantly telling you you're not good enough, that you can do better? Do you need Jesus to come in and help you let those things go so they will not control you, so you can sit at his feet, listen to the master? He will. He will do that. Maybe, maybe, and this is a different, slightly different take on this story, but maybe you're the one constantly sitting at Jesus' feet all the time, watching everyone else do the work. Maybe you're the hogging the center chair in, front of, in the front row with your notebook, ready to study and hear and listen and to eat up everything that anyone ever says. But perhaps you need to hear what Jesus said about his son of man came to serve and not to be served. Maybe it's time to step up and get involved. We all have to help. We don't want others to burn out. I wasn't going to say this, and I probably shouldn't, but, you know, my wife can kick me later. But every year, uh, so on Christmas Eve, we had like nearly 600 people that came to our Christmas Eve services in the community. And it was a beautiful place. 
it was decorated just, I mean, I don't know, don't know if anyone had better Christmas decorations or not. But you know, there's only a handful of people that set that up every year and a handful of people that take it down. And no matter how many times we say, we need help putting all this stuff away, it usually falls on five or six people and not the younger ones, the older ones are trying to get Christmas trees in boxes up into attic places. And this year we were saying, you know, how about next year we just don't do that? Because we're burning out, we're tired. We keep asking people to help and no one comes. So how about we just put up a tree instead of 30 trees? <laughs> All the f- beautiful things. And be, No, 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 we have to keep doing that because of the expectations. And because what will people think if we don't? And they drive by our church at night and, and all the windows aren't lit up like we do every year. And going, yeah, but we need help. Time to step up. Time to help. Or it, it just is going to have to change to something else. It's a small thing. But um, it is a thing. We can't always just sit and listen. Sometimes we have to get up and help. John chapter 11, Jesus tells us that Mary, uh, John tells us that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. They were good friends. In John chapter 11, Mary and Martha sent a note to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, um, our brother, Lazarus, your, your friend, he's sick and he's about to die. We need you to come right now. And he mustn't have been too far away, probably a day and a half. He could have, when he got the message, he could have got back and, and helped out heal Lazarus, but he didn't. He stayed where he was. The disciples were saying, you know, Jesus is sick. Probably you should go. He says, no, it's not time yet. And then when Lazarus finally dies, Jesus says, now it's time to go. And they're saying, what's the point? Why bother? He's dead. He says, oh, come along. And Martha actually meets Jesus on the road, and she says, Lord... If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. I just sense a little bit of rebuke again. I don't know. Maybe she's still that firstborn, kind of trying to fix things, trying to organize people. But she says, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I think she's softened. She's learning. And then Jesus gets to demonstrate one of the most amazing events, raises her brother from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. Teaches them some amazing information that night. What a beautiful thing to raise a friend to life. Do you think they ever doubted who he was again? Do you think that maybe they would have just sit at his feet any last chance they get? John chapter 12, the very next chapter, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany and he went to, it says, the home of Lazarus. I think because now Lazarus was famous. You know, he's that dead guy that's not dead anymore. Um... And a dinner was prepared for him, and it says, Martha served. Surprise, surprise. And Lazarus is among those who are with him. And where was Mary? She went upstairs, grabbed a bottle of a, the most expensive perfume around. It's worth one year's wages. How much do you make in a year? Say this thing was worth $85,000. Brought it, broke it open, and poured it on Jesus' feet. And then cleaned his feet with her hair. True act of worship. I don't notice Martha and Lazarus complaining. I don't notice them interfering. Says, Mary, what are you doing? That's expensive. You know who complained at that time? Judas, the one who was just going to go out and betray Jesus. We could have sold that and given the money to the poor. He didn't understand either. He didn't know who Jesus was. Mary and, Joseph, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they knew at this time that this was important. And Jesus rebukes 
Judas and says, you know what? She did this in preparation for my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. And this was the last time that they would have seen him. We learned from the stories in the scriptures, accounts of people, ordinary people. You know, a lot of us would have acted like Martha. We're busy. We've got to work hard. Someone's got to feed these people. You know, it's my job. It's my duty. But sometimes there's more important things than duties and obligations and expectations. Sometimes Jesus says, I just need you to sit down. Just stop. Stop. Sit down. Let me talk to you. Let's get things organized and straight in our life. Let me show you things that are amazing that you will never know if you don't stop and just listen. There has to be a balance between doing for Jesus and being in his presence. We all have to be doing because he asks us to go and to make disciples of the whole world and teach people to do what he has commanded. But there's also time for being. It's a good balance to have. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to close off this message and uh, we'll have a time of invitation If you want to start this year by being more than doing with Jesus, so that, you know, being with him speaks into what we do, helps us to focus that what we do is on track, is on point, is what he wants of us. If we just do all the time and never get to spend time with him, we're not going to be doing the right things. Father God, would you let us hear what you're saying to us today? Speak to our hearts and our minds. What is the truth that will change our life, that will focus our time that we'll put our priorities in the right place. So many voices out there calling for attention. And they're just distractions from what's the most important. Help us, Father, this year, 2023, to learn how to make the right choices, the best choice, to choose what you would have us to choose each time, to not miss out on what blessing you might have waiting for us if we would just stop, listen, and learn from you. Thank you for this moment. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.